HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's the final episode of our series on global trade. We're thinking futuristically, from China's ambitious plans for a new Silk Road to the future of borders and automation. If you're a banana, you know, it's easy to cross the border. But if you're a person who's trying to follow the jobs, uh, it's a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to do so in an authorized and safe fashion. They love food trucks and they love growing your own food because these things are not dependent on essentially government systems. So there's a whole politics to pretzels on the dark web. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host for the week, Melissa Fuster. This episode is part of a special series in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal of, for Food Studies. Our new issue, 21.1, features articles on food and power, on care work, and on chefs, restaurants, and culinary creativity. As well, Gastronomica continues to publish its COVID dispatches, which are short portraits of early responses to the food crisis of this pandemic. For six weeks, join us as hosts from the, from the Gastronomica Editorial Collective as we talk with authors. My guest this week is Amy Bentley, joining us to discuss her piece, Ketchup as a Vegetable, Condiments and the Politics of School Lunch in Regan's America. Amy is professor of food studies at New York University and author of several books and other publications. Her most recent book is Inventing Baby Food, Taste, Health, and the Industrialization of the American Diet, published by the University of California Press in 2014. Her current research projects include a history of food in American hospitals and the COVID and I'm sorry, the food and COVID-19 NYC Digital Archive. Thank you for joining us, Amy, and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here and really nice to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you. So I would like us to, to begin by getting our listeners to learn more about your work. If you can just start by telling us um, 
what first motivated your interest in food and history? Uh, I was in graduate school in, at the University of Pennsylvania in an American studies program and was looking for a topic to write my dissertation on. And I was in the Library of Congress looking around for materials. And I asked the archivist, I said, do you have anything on victory gardens? Because I had remembered my mother's story when she was a girl during World War II when um, their family lived in Oakland, California and had a victory garden and some other stories. And, and I knew I wanted to write about World War II and food, I mean, and women, but I didn't really know what in what capacity Anyway, the, the archivist said, hmm, let me go check. And he came back later wheeling uh, boxes and boxes of material. He said, there is so much here, and I'm not sure anyone has looked at it. And, you know, that's like a historian's dream. Mm -hmm. um, and the project, my dissertation project, turned into a history of cultural history of World War II food rationing with emphasis on women's experiences. And that turned into my first book, Eating for Victory, uh, I, I was teaching at Colorado, University of Colorado, and then um, the NYU Food Studies program opened up, and I was very, very fortunate to be hired. And just my, um, my whole area of research area turned to focusing on food, the cultural, social, economic, sociopolitical aspects of food, and it's just been a pure delight. It, it, there are endless topics to research and teach about and think about. And so I, I, my area research emphasis is 20th century United States history, so cultural histories of food. And um, this article really just fit right into that um, research area perfectly. Yeah, and that is what I wanted to ask you uh, next. And just to give our listeners a little bit of a background about your, your article, um, so the article that, that we're going to be talking about uh, talks about the 1981 Reagan administration efforts to slash budgets across all federal agencies. And I like that you emphasize that except the Department of Defense, uh, which, <laughs> led, which led to proposed cuts in the National School Lunch Program that have since been associated with the ketchup as a vegetable debacle. Given the, the proposal within um, to count condiments such as relish and tomato paste as part of the mandated vegetable servings. So I wanted to ask you again, and it does seem to be, of course, a, a logical fit within your work, but what, what motivated you to go deep into ketchup and mm -hmm. the Reagan administration? Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by. Um, cultural meanings of food, iconic meanings of iconic food products and the hold that they have in American, primarily American culture. So, you know, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, uh, you know, those, those, those icons have very, very broad meanings that are accessible to most people and very specific meanings in American culture and history. And I think ketchup is also one of those um, ubiquitous American food products, condiments that has a lot of uh, meaning and um, accessibility to everybody. And when I was looking for a research topic, I was thinking about those iconic food brands and how they were planted in particular moments of history. And actually, the other one I looked up first to research was Kool Aid mm. because. Um, 
I'm a I'm a I'm on the tail end of the baby boomers, and so I was a teenager in the 1970s and in college in the early 1980s. And um, perhaps listeners will remember the or have heard of the um, Jim Jones Church in South America and the terrible, mm-hmm. terrible um, debacle of over. Um, in part, they were given Kool-Aid to drink that was laced with with cyanide. And I was thinking, well, maybe I can research Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and try to figure out what was it about Kool-Aid, this ubiquitous American drink that was so embedded in this horrible, horrible, um, horrible uh, experience. And it was just a little too bor- morbid for me to research. Maybe I'll come back to it at some point. <laughs> but it also got me thinking about other food products with these with iconic moments in American politics and culture at, around the same time and ketchup if if you were conscious at that time or perhaps you remember later this this very powerful moment in the Reagan administration when the the press was reporting they were trying to make ketchup count as a vegetable in <laughs> in kids school lunches and it just sounded crazy and <laughs> offensive and and it created a huge uproar and then became this this um, metaphor for some of the cold-hearted, cruel, um, uh, arguably uh, approaches to um, to uh, um, you know government programs uh, or or the 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 coldness through which the Reagan administration viewed American citizens and and so I thought well maybe I can research that maybe I can try to do a deep dive into that moment and really understand what was going on. Did they really try to make ketchup a vegetable? And if, if not, what, why did it get construed that way? So I did do a geeky deep dive into the whole um, moment and just enjoyed every minute of it, ex- accessing the, um, the National Register, the Federal Register, all the newspaper articles, trying to track down and interview people if I could. Um, and then thinking about kind of matching the cultural profound um, meaning that ketchup has in American culture and linking that to this moment and trying to understand how it all happened and what was the meaning of it. Yeah, no, and back, uh, thank you for sharing that, that the first idea around Kool-Aid because it's, <laughs> it's interesting that the, both of these topics are tough contenders because these are things that even nowadays, we're, we're, we're still talking about, oh, you drank the Kool-Aid. Yes, exactly. exactly. Uh, and then we were still making references of, of ketchup as a vegetable when we have this crazy nutrition uh, policy idea. So, yeah. So I hope you get to write the other piece and we get to talk <laughs> about it uh, at some point. Um, and in reading your, your article, and again, I, I hope that listeners go and and read it because it's it's very very interesting and it shows that deep dive in into the history and it even motivates some some like I became very curious about ketchup and mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it is an interesting topic so in doing your your research what what surprised you the the most as you were geeking out in the archives and talking with people mm-hmm. well it, I had to go back and even just figure what the whole story was about and refresh my memory. I was, I think, a freshman in college at the time, so I remember some, but I, I had to go back and really understand what the, the Reagan administration was trying to do. 
And it was part of what was called Reaganomics. Mm -hmm. uh, Reagan was elected, ushered in um, a, a whole moment for new economic policy, approaches to uh, welfare, approaches to government programs. And so um, the, the budget director and the Congress passed sweeping budget reform, slashing the government budgets, as you said, except for defense, creating what were called block grants that were the money, the, the pockets of money, the pools of money were turned back to the states and the states were supposed to use it as they saw fit and it was supposed to create more local control. There was um, the prevailing economic theory called um, trickle-down economics. There's another word for it, but trickle-down, like, like if, if oh, tax cuts were a whole part of it. If, we, if they slashed taxes, especially for the wealthy, then the wealthy would use that money to stimulate the economy and the benefits would trickle down to the little person, as it were. It's, it's an economic theory that's pretty well um, proven wrong or proven in, uh, mm -hmm. in, inaccurate, but it was definitely the prevailing economic theory of the day. And so this is what happened. This is what the Congress did. And part of what they were charged to do was slash the school lunch budget by a third. Mm -hmm. And so they had essentially 12 weeks to figure out how they were going to slash the school lunch budget by a third, yet still, as Congress mandated, maintain the same nutrition um, benefits of school mm -hmm. lunch. So that's just a huge task and arguably impossible, but um, a task force set about to do that. And in doing so, they dramatically revised the, the guidelines for what uh, the rules for what a school lunch was supposed to consist of or should consist of. A certain number of a protein, two vegetables, um, grains, you know, uh, milk, and so there were certain guidelines. And so they set about to um, reclassify foods to meet those guidelines. Mm -hmm. So to fulfill a grain, a serving of a grain, the new guidelines said you could use pie or cookies or cake. <laughs> Chips, you know that all—they all contain grain, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what was another one? You know, let's let's cut out low-fat milk. Let's only use whole milk. That'll save money, and it's still milk, right? That so the thinking went. Um, I'm trying to think of another. Oh, so for the protein guideline, um, introducing non-meat sources of protein, so nuts, soy pro protein, uh, and then. For the vegetable uh, category, the new guideline said, well, we will allow pickle relish to count as a vegetable. We will also allow tomato concentrate to count as a vegetable. So I think two tablespoons. Um, mm -hmm. And they just said tomato concentrate. They didn't say ketchup. They didn't say tomato sauce. They didn't say tomato paste. So I think... I think there was an, I think, to long story short, I think that was supposed to refer to a concentrate that then would be reconstituted into tomato sauce, like goes on pizza. But given that they also specifically mentioned pickle relish to, that, could, that could be counted as a vegetable, it sort of inserted this idea that condiments could count as one of the vegetable servings. And so whether, um, whether intended or not, 
it provided this opening that you could argue that ketchup, a condiment, that a tomato concentrate, could then count as a vegetable. And so I think in the haste of creating these guidelines, creating pickle relish as allowing to be a vegetable, which is pretty, like, arguably right there, you have to, you have to um, question the, the soundness of that, given the, uh, you know, salt-heavy salt, um, elements of mm -hmm. relish. Um, it provides this opening to allow ketchup to be counted as a vegetable, whether intended or not. And so when these guidelines were published in the Federal Register, as they were, they were um, mandated to do a month before, I think, going into effect, I think, immediately the press, consumer groups, others latched on to this aspect of the changes, this idea that ketchup could be counted as a vegetable. Now, this became the, the, the headline. As I just said, there were many other questionable mm -hmm. choices for yeah. changing the requirements, the you know, pies and cookies and cakes to count as a grain serving, um, you know, other things that maybe make more that certainly make more sense today, using soy protein or mm -hmm. butter, nut butters or nuts as, as protein. But this was the one that became the headline and that garnered so much attention and so much backlash. It was just um, in all the papers, on all the TV shows, made fun of, uh, parodies. And um, in the matter of three weeks, uh, the Reagan administration had to pull it back because it was just grabbing all of the oxygen um, in, this, in, this, um, in these uh, recommendations. And so it was a defeat but uh, it became, as we just talked about, this shorthand for the cold-hearted way that the Reagan administration was approaching school lunches, children, and lower-income people. Yeah, I know. And, and exactly as you said, when, when I read your piece, that's something that struck, struck me, that there were so many other things there that, that were so much worse, like even decreasing the the coverage of the lunch from one third that is supposed to be one one meal of the day to one fourth right. which is like way worse things than yeah. than the ketchup yeah. um so let me let's first take a break um and we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we're gonna take a deeper dive into into ketchup and why it is that it was such a big deal uh in the media in those days This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. And we're back. This is Meant to be Eaten with Melissa Fuster, talking with Amy Bentley about her article, Ketchup as a Vegetable. 
Condiments and the Politics of School Lunch in Regan's America, available in the current issue of Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. Before the break, we started to uh, to talk about the whole, how, how is it that this proposal in 1981 had other things that that were much worse um, than, than the idea of condiments as vegetables. So I wanted to retake that conversation, Amy. Um, and now if you can tell us, based on your research, what is it about ketchup <laughs> that, that catch the, the media attention and, and how we remember this debacle even today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, ketchup is very American and ketchup is very, you could argue, democratic. Uh, most Americans have a bottle, often more than one bottle of ketchup in their refrigerators. It's, it goes with very, quote unquote, American foods or fast foods, hamburgers, french fries, chicken nuggets, uh, you know, state fair food. Um, it, 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 it's very tasty. Uh, it, it's a com- an interesting combination of sweet, salty, umami, uh, tomatoey. Uh, it's bright in color and accents um, foods nicely. It, it cuts salt-heavy, fat-heavy foods really nicely and it's a is a, um, a great condiment. And it's something that all Americans uh, know about, use, and feel fondly uh, uh, fondly toward. It wasn't invented in the United States, but it really came of age in the United States in the late 19th century with the canning of, um, of, of food products and condiments and the industrialization of the growing of tomatoes and the canning created... Um, and a, a, a ubiquitous product that was marketed far and wide and then exported across uh, the world. And it mm-hmm. now has become a fond condiment in other cultures as well. So, but it's not, Americans wouldn't call it healthy. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 a serving is two tablespoons and that two tablespoons has 7% of Americans uh, daily salt allotment, like a recommended daily amount of salt. So that's pretty high for two tablespoons of a condiment. Mm-hmm. And even though it's tomatoes, it's not, um, it's nothing you would eat a, a huge amount of because it's too, too sharp. It's too, it, it, it's a condiment. It's not meant to be eaten like tomato soup, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's usually paired with foods that um, are not, Americans know aren't the most healthy also. So you know, fatty fried foods, French fries are fine and are loved, beloved by Americans, but are not what we would call the good vegetables, right? <laughs> we think of squash, green beans, um, you know, there's other healthier vegetables than potatoes. Potatoes are fine. They are actually a really good vegetable or starch as they're often um, categorized. But but when we fry them, um, it loses some of their value or, or it becomes embedded in in um, less, less healthier cooking practices. So ketchup is loved, but we wouldn't call it a healthy vegetable <laughs> to be eaten in quantities. So when the Reagan administration purportedly tried to categorize it as a vegetable and a vegetable for children, it just struck like people as very, very wrong. Um, 
it, it's also important to understand the backdrop of school lunch at the time, which was seen as this important American democratic institution, but had gradually becoming, was, was, was becoming neglected. It was um, underfunded. It was becoming to be appropriated by um, larger food industry uh, purveyors, which were not providing the most healthy food available for kids. And so upper and middle class families were opting out of school lunch and it became primarily for, uh, consumed by um, lower socioeconomic children and often children of color. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of, of giving ketchup as a vegetable in school lunch to primarily lower socioeconomic children just seemed, it just pushed, for, for most American, it pushed all their buttons and um, just uh, was seen as an outrage, I think, because because we love ketchup, but we don't consider it a healthy vegetable, and that the government was trying to make it a, consider it a vegetable for children, lower income children, just seemed so egregiously wrong. Mm -hmm, definitely, and again, as as we mentioned in the in the first part, this this proposal didn't actually go through, right? Uh, in the end, ketchup was not allowed as a substitute for for a vegetable. No, no, it was shot down. Uh, they they withdrew that. Um, sorry, sorry, we didn't mean it. Uh, just kidding. Um, they made some other adjustments to school lunch. Um, they implemented what's called offer versus serve. You had to have five components to meet the requirements of a school lunch, but children only had to choose three of those five, and that was seen as a way to to cut costs. Um, and as you mentioned, um, Melissa, that one of the most egregious things was cutting the daily recommended allowances from um, what would be a third of a, 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 um, food allotments or calories a day to a quarter. And so re just reducing the volume and amount and quality of the food for children um, was not given the due that it deserved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I, again, I, as a somebody in nutrition, that's something that, that struck me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, taking moving now from 1981 to, to the present um, and back to your work as, as a historian in food, um, I mean, I, I don't need to, to tell you, but that, that these takes are super important because we can learn from the past and hopefully not make the mistakes in the present. Mm -hmm. However, um, in your piece, uh, when we reach to towards the end and you take us to the present, you do show us and, and mention some instances where we see sort of the return of, of the tomato paste or ketchup as a vegetable controversies. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us more about these uh, recent incidences and particularly the, you mentioned that in 2011, the Obama administration did something that was called more of a pizza as a vegetable <laughs> Right, right, right. Uh, so if you can tell us more about that and, and because in your piece, you, of course, you didn't get to expand on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If there were pieces that were similar, what was different about it? Mm -hmm. Sure. So during the Obama administration, as you'll remember, uh, Michelle Obama's, one of her key um, signature um, efforts was to uh, create healthier foods, and especially for kids. And so overhauling school lunch, 
-hmm. and trying to make it healthier, trying to create standards that were higher um, was a key piece of her efforts and the Obama administration's efforts. And so one component they tried to do, again, it was this, the, 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 um, the tomato concentrate. Um, they were trying to increase the minimum um, serving of tomato concentrate. In this case, it was toma and tomato sauce from two tablespoons to, I think, a quarter of a cup. In other words, saying, if you're going to call tomato, con tomato sauce a serving, it needs to be a quarter of a cup instead of two tablespoons. We need to uh, increase that amount and increase the, the, the quote-unquote vegetable element of it. This caused a huge furor because, of course, uh, the frozen food pizza manufacturers who fueled a lot of the school lunches and created frozen pizzas for school lunch, each serving of pizza did not have or would not have a quarter of a cup of tomato sauce. That would probably be too much. Mm -hmm. That would probably be an amount that was would be appropriate for, say, pasta, if you were going to have a pasta uh, serving for children, but probably not on a slice of pizza. And this would throw their, um, their business... Um, into disarray. And so they fought and lobbied and lobbied and lobbied to um, get this component overturned, and they did. So it was called Pizza Gate. Uh, <laughs> you know, everything's a gate. Um, yeah. Pizza as a vegetable. And so the pizza manufacturers won, and two tablespoons was still considered uh, a serving of, of tomato concentrate. <laughs> I, I think some other, if I can just say, yeah, yeah. continue, um, I think so, uh, another really interesting piece of the story that unfolds later on after the 1980s is those original, what of those original um, recommendations ended up becoming acceptable and part of the school lunch components. So you remember the ubiquitous, the, the, the infamous pickle relish. Well, that didn't end up not counted as as a vegetable, but eventually in the 1990s, salsa was considered a vegetable. A, a quarter cup, I think, a serving of salsa would indeed count as a vegetable. They were very nervous to roll this out. There, lots of um, hemming and hawing. Well, salsa's it's more nutritious. It's really like a vegetable salad, um, and and it it, it passed. It, it is now considered um, acceptable vegetable. And I actually I think that makes sense. I think mm -hmm. a good vegetable salsa is delicious and appropriate and um and and is definitely can be considered a, a vegetable but they were very nervous to roll that out because of course that falls into the condiment category um subsequently uh nut nuts and nut butters and tofu have been considered mm -hmm. uh, acceptable protein components which again makes total sense for us today in this day and age and um are, are not controversial, but in the 1980s, early 1980s, that was seen as very, very controversial, but um, because it, it, it felt like it superseded meat or meat was, was considered a higher quality protein. So we've come a long way in hindsight to think about that, those, those um, acceptable protein elements not being so controversial. The pie, the cookies, the cake, the cake things counting as grain um, technically should not count as as uh, as grains, I don't think they do, but I, I I'm not up on t on school lunches to know just how how much sugar uh, is is allowed in a muffin, say. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's a that's a breakfast item. Uh, 
But I think it's interesting to see how at, we as a culture have changed through the decades to the point where um, we can allow a condiment like salsa to be uh, to be counted as a vegetable with very little um, consternation, as well as protein substitu substitutes. Um, ketchup is still, however, luckily not considered a vegetable, um, and uh, but it's still, of course, a beloved condiment by children and adults alike, and I think it still holds this this important place in American culture and American consumption patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, de definitely. Um, but it's good that it's not counted as a vegetable. So that's... Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, one of the, as, as somebody that, that works in the in nutrition um, and food policy, one of the of the main takeaways that I see from, from your work is that even though, yes, we school lunches have been improving, especially after the Obama administration, even though the past administration rolled back a little, uh, mm -hmm. some of those provisions that, that oh, they should be coming back uh, soon. But still the, the issue is that we are trying to, pro to provide nutritious meals in cheap ways mm -hmm. to our kids. Mm -hmm. And I think also there is this uh, notion, right, about how we view food versus nutrients. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and you talk about this in your article, and I, we don't we don't get too technical, but the idea of of nutritionism mm -hmm. and how it is permeating uh, the way we see food, and and how that then leads to pizza as a vegetable yeah. or or these other these other debacles. So, can can you talk a little bit about that and, and also what can we learn for key lessons learned from this way of viewing food mm -hmm. for policymakers or, or nutrition professionals? Yes. Yeah, um, as the rise of the, the discovery that food had these components, chemical components like uh, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, fats, carbs, sugars, um, the, the, the term nutritionism refers to this idea that, that those are the only things that are important in food. Like if we could just inject those things into our veins, we'd be good to go. And if the most junkiest, you know, sh sugar cereal has vitamins in it, then of course it's okay because it's got the vitamins in it that, that the kid needs. We know, of course, that that's not true, that, 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 that food is food. Food has those things in it. But food is more the sum of that, the uh, total of the sum of, the, of its part, of its parts. It's got things in it that we haven't even discovered yet and thought about, and we're just learning the importance of. Um, we're learning about the value of fermentation. We're learning about phytochemicals. We're learning about the pleasure, the, the healthy, positive aspects of the pleasures of food, the commensality, eating food together, um, the deliciousness, taste, texture. Um, all of these things that are embedded in food culture that 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 goes so far beyond you know simple nutrients, and so what I think happened in school lunch, and we're still seeing the results of today, is that it just was assumed. Well, if we just hand this many calories, this many vitamins, nutrients to kids, then then we're good to go, and we can do it as cheaply as possible, and we don't have to worry about anything else. Um, And of course, we know that that's a terrible way to deliver food, and it's 
not the healthiest and it's not in, 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 doesn't have all of these important values and cultural elements and and culinary elements embedded in it and the cheap the cheapness diminishes the health healthiness of the food as well and it's so it's like school lunch hit rock bottom some of our institutional uh, feeding institutions just have 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 hit rock bottom in thinking <laughs> that we can do this cheaply and we know that that's that we can't and i think there's some element in trying to turn that around i mean certainly the the obama era um, measures were an attempt to do that but there's a very strong um, industrial food lobby that's trying to fight against that and um, still trying to deliver food as cheaply as possible with minimal you know the the minimal amounts of nutrients available you know possible so I think we need to think of food as food again, and mm-hmm. the important values embedded in them, and and that food and lunch, school lunch and school breakfast are as important part of kids' education as other parts of um, of the school day, and that we can find value in that, and and they can benefit from that, and um, and just think about how that translates into policy. Yes, definitely. I think again. Just what you said that we need to think of food as food and not just as a as a vehicle for for nutrients mm-hmm. and hopefully that will make better policy and avoid debacles like like ketchup as a vegetable exactly. in the future. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I want to really thank you for for your time and also for writing the this piece for Gastronomica, and I hope that our listeners get uh, curious about it and get to to read the. The full article again is really interesting. Um, all the all the things that you present about ketchup and the policy context and lessons that we learn can learn for for today. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Amy, for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Melissa. It's really been fun to to chat with you and to chat about the the moment in time, the infamous ketchup as a vegetable <laughs> incident. <laughs> good, good. So we don't forget about that. Exactly. So thank you. Um, And for our listeners, this episode will be the last in the series and Gastronomica will return in the coming weeks to future works from our next uh, issue 21.2. Listeners can read the full article in Gastronomica Journal for Food Studies, volume 21.1 in February. And for more details, visit gastronomica.org. Thank you. Meant to be Eaten is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.